there we go. Get a little started on here. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of our Puget Systems Podcast live Q&A show. Uh, this week, we're joined by Jonathan Winbush. Um, I had misspelled it in some of our social media <laughs> stuff. Um, <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm really excited as I'm, I say, I, I say that every time, but I am actually genuinely excited every time I do this. I get to learn so much new stuff and it's just very cool. So um, Jonathan, just, just in case anybody doesn't already know, um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Give us a little intro of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so what up, what up? Wimboys here. I'm excited to be here with these guys at Pugent. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jonathan Winbush, aka Winbush. I'm a motion graphics artist based out of Southern California. I primarily do motion graphics and television and motion pictures, and then sometime immersive tech like virtual reality and some augmented reality. But yeah, in a nutshell, mostly work on TV for yeah, like the past decade and a half. So yeah, since around 2005, 2006-ish. So yeah, if you watch any television, more than likely you've seen stuff <laughs> that I've worked on at some point, especially in reruns. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some of, of uh, you know, you've come up in the news and stuff. I've seen you in different social media posts and whatnot. And it's really, it's really, really cool stuff. Um, I'm, oh, thank you. Yeah, that's neat. So, um, and, and we also have our uh, 3D expert, Kelly Shipman, with us here as well, and which always is nice to have a, a, a third person that helps conversation flow and all that good stuff. I'm really excited. Um, yeah, and just to let everybody know, anybody who's already here too, don't forget you can ask your own questions as well. That's a big part of all of this. We want to try and provide some value, some insight behind the curtain uh, sort of peaks and um, you know, just get some good info out there. So feel free to ask your own questions as well. We'll get those popped up. And in fact, um, I'll just jump right in. We did have one even before the show started. Uh, gentleman Logan Penny on YouTube had a couple questions to start off. The obvious specs, specs, specs. What are you running now? Plans <laughs> for the future in regards to upgrades and speculation over hardware. Yeah, so um, currently I'm still running a Third Ripper 3, so the 3990X, and I still have the last-gen NVIDIA card, so I'm running a 2080 Ti. But primarily, like, I've moved from offline rendering to online rendering with Unreal Engine, so that's why I haven't been in, like, a huge rush to jump and get a 3090. Like, if it was available, you know, of course I would go get it. But, <laughs> yeah, the way that, <laughs> you know, the scarcity of them right now is, like, you'll get a notification. It's like, yeah we'll have them at Best Buy tomorrow, but you have to come now and set up a tent and, you know, have a camp overnight. And I'm like, ah, no, nah, I just wait. So yeah, currently, <laughs> currently still on a 20 series card, but yeah, it still runs. So happy with what I have right now. Nice. Right on. And to, to kind of expand on that a little bit, um, what, what other sort of tools beyond just the PC that do you use for your work? Yeah. So I use a Blackmagic camera to do a lot of my capturing the 4K. And then I recently just got the new iPad with the M1 chip because it came with the depth camera. So I've been doing some experimenting or experimenting with LiDAR capture and mm. doing facial motion capture with it as well. So that's been really fun to work with. And then, um, yeah, I used a motion capture suit as Gabby you had on before. I have the Rococo suit, which is like the step down from what she uses, but okay. but using that to do, you know, like my own character animations and stuff as well. Right on. 
yeah, the the virtual production stuff is actually is really cool uh, to see kind of expanding in such a way. I feel like um, with the the pandemic and, and all of that stuff, it really gave a, a perfect opportunity for that technology to um, just expand in a big way. I feel like yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't have become as popular if things hadn't kind of been locked down and had everybody had to be separated. And I'm excited to see more of what is what gets done with um, you know, like LED walls and, and different yeah. green screen volumes and motion capture and things like that. It's super exciting stuff. I, I feel like yeah. virtual production has expanded so far already that we need to start breaking out. The- the terms because like it's Ooh, such a yeah, yeah. umbrella thing <laughs> and like yeah. virtual production that uh windbush here is doing versus gabriella versus an led volume versus all these other things like they're all just different now we need yeah. to come up with yeah. some new terms soon <laughs> Isn't that that's right funny story from last year about midway through the pandemic i was working with a client and they were like they're going to be working on a new commercial but because of COVID protocols they can't have anybody on set and they can't have any actors and they're like this sounds like a job for virtual production and i'm like what do you mean that sounds like a job for virtual production like i'm trying to get like what they think it is in their head mm-hmm. and then i'm sending them clips of what virtual production is with like the led lights and all this different stuff and they they thought it was like just something magical like you just <laughs> open up unreal you know and you just magically have like these holographic actors and everybody's interacting and doing all this stuff remotely and i'm like no nah, that's not it's not we're not there yet we're not in like the star wars age of virtual production where I could be a hologram here and somebody could be a hologram somewhere else and we're all just interacting. And, you know, it's not at mm-hmm. that point yet. But yeah, for some reason, a lot of clients had that in their head. They just think that, you wow. know, everybody could just work from all over the world. We don't need any more sets, no more cameramen. We're just doing all this stuff in Unreal. And yeah, it's just crazy how generic and, you know, crazy that term has gotten this past year. Yeah, I have seen people doing like interview style where you do have two people that are not in the same same room but it looks like um i think uh like um uh, oprah and obama had an interview like that oh, not, yeah like, you're yeah. on separate sides of the country um a lot of newscasts do it but like in that case you actually need two full sets because you have to right. like match up cameras exactly lights have to be exactly the same like wow. you're not saving anything <laughs> other than not being in the same room right now yeah. you just have two sets of and two sets of crew and everything else yeah you're not eliminating any positions or virtual <laughs> you're actually adding more people to the process so yeah. Yeah, it's like a lot of people think it's just like oh one man team you know you'll just do everything yeah. in virtual production and it's like no that's not the case at all yeah man yeah I, th- I think that's the key this is the setup right people don't realize yeah. like everything that goes into because even just something s- as simple as like the stuff like i say simple but then i, I think <laughs> of like matt workman and the stuff he's doing and that yeah. seems that seems kind of like a diy almost prosumer level kind of thing but right. there's so much involved he's had to hack the the little tracker things to put on a camera and figure out where that is inside of like the 3d space and unreal. And mm-hmm. it, man, it's way more complicated than, than it seems, which I've found to be the case for every creative person endeavor that I've, that I've spoken to. Mm-hmm. It is so much more, there's so much more that goes into the final product than right. the, the average person really like thinks it, it's, mind-blowing 
yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's kind of part of the fun of it like i like problem solving so i think that's why i kind of throw myself into that grinder as painful as it is sometimes but <laughs> you know you get like i don't know you get like a kick of endorphins i think once you finally figure something out that took you maybe like days or weeks or whatever and once you like hit that epiphany then it's like oh man like i finally did it and you know, that's why I kind of did YouTube as well, because I used to screen capture myself figuring stuff out because three months from now, if that problem came back up, I would totally forget how I did it. So I would start doing screen capturing and, you know, I'd have friends, they would say like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of stuck here. You know, do you know how to do this? And I would send them over my screen capture. I'm like, oh, yeah, I figured that out six months ago. <laughs> and then people are like, why don't you have this stuff up on YouTube? And I'm like, yeah, why don't I? <laughs> why don't I have this yeah. stuff up on YouTube? So that's kind of like how that whole thing just started spawning out and doing tutorials and stuff. But it's mainly just for me, like problem solving and tinkering and just figuring this stuff out, you know, and that's kind of how I got it to Unreal as well. Like it's not meant for motion graphics, but you know, you kind of just make it work for what you want to use it for. Right. I love that. The, like the hacking of it, the, it reminds me of like the early days of um, machinima, right? Mm -hmm. People making, you know, yeah. early red versus blue and stuff always comes to mind of like we have yeah, these the cool tools <laughs> and and we're using them for things that they weren't really originally designed for but right. like, how cool though like look at what we can do with stuff that isn't isn't meant for this but now if they put more effort which it looks like unreal or epic in general is is really doubling down on this side of things like imagine yeah. what's going to be capable next year even this right wow, wow. super cool then um, it just spawns competition too because i know like mm -hmm. unity is doubled down on their tools and then you have nvidia with the omniverse they're doing some stuff out there as well so yeah this mm -hmm. stuff just kind of spawns out and gets people really excited and thinking in this you know this new realm of the direction yeah uh, i'm excited to see the the cool stuff that comes out of it every time is <laughs> really neat I'm, I'm curious um the the problem solving side of things is there any anything in particular that stands out as something that you're particularly proud of of overcoming like a technical challenge yeah <clears throat> i have to say the number one thing is just merging cinema 4d with unreal engine like whenever <laughs> this might have been 2019 when epic made the announcement that they had updated that datasmith plugin to allow for cinema 40 imports but there was absolutely no documentation besides that little announcement you know blurb that they put out there and that was that siggraph that was up at la convention center so when i heard the announcement i immediately went home and i was excited because you know like i'm a big gamer at heart and i'm like you know, I've always been kind of scared of Unreal and Unity at that point as well, because I go in there and I have nowhere to start. You know, you just open a program and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. But I figured since they had Cinema 4D integration, then at least that gives me a pivot to, you know, try to work with the program. So I get home, I'm looking for documentation. There was like nothing at all, but I was just experimenting and putting things together. And I finally got a simple scene to work inside of Unreal Engine. And so I was so excited that I did a tutorial that night and uploaded it. 
and I went back to SIGGRAPH the next day and um, Paul from over at Maxon, he came over to me and he's like, Winbush. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, how the hell did you figure that stuff out so quick? He's like, we just found out about this announcement and he's like, there's nothing out there about it, but you went and you figured it out and you put it out there because that was all on Epic side. <laughs> like Maxon had nothing to do with that. That was all mm-hmm. Epic that put oh. that together. And so, yeah, it was just interesting to um, see how that kind of like spiraled into me becoming known as like the motion graphics unreal guy because from there a ton of people had a ton of questions people were recognizing me on the show floor and i just kept going on and on with this so yeah that was probably one of the most prevalent things that i figured out because that kind of you know brought me to where i'm at today yeah that's awesome so um just for my own sake because i I, i'm kind of the uh audience surrogate here i i don't i don't I'm no expert. So what is it? What is it that you use in Cinema 4D to do inside of Unreal? Yeah, so like Cinema 4D is a really good 3D tool for motion graphics artists. You have the MoGraph module in there. Everything is kind of streamlined and built for motion graphics artists in mind. And so I'm able to take my scenes and create them in um, Cinema 4D as I'm used to. But then instead of using, you know, like CPU rendering or doing GPU rendering with Redshift, I'm able to bring it into Unreal so that I could work with the scene in real time and then even render out in real time. So a scene that might have taken me like 12 hours to render out before I can now even boost it up to like 4k 60 fps and render it out within a matter of minutes and so that was primarily my biggest goal there because I used to have a mini render farm here and my electric bill would just be through the <laughs> room, you know doing overnight renders and sometimes it's like it's hard to sleep because you don't know if the systems are going to crash or if you're going to get glitch frames or whatever so real-time rendering it allowed me to sell all my other gpus on ebay get a lot of money and save on my electric bill so that was like nice. you know awesome. a win-win overall yeah wow i'm i'd like to touch on nft uh, I, know, <laughs> I, just, I, I think you and i or at least through through the company uh twitter and stuff i i see through you and through others that um we follow there's it's it's kind of this it's very nebulous. I feel like people don't right. quite have the right or, or have a strange understanding of what NFT is and what what it means like going forward. Cause like right now they're just seeing, you know, crypto punks or, or it seems it seems a lot like yeah. fine it seems a lot like fine art, right? Yeah. Um but I feel like there's a lot more to it than just selling like one off prints of 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 something. Um what, what do you have to say on the whole thing? Yeah. So for those that don't know, NFT stands for non-fungible token, which there is this thing out there on the internet called the blockchain, which is used for um, authenticity. And so let's say that if the Mona Lisa was put onto the blockchain, anybody that buys it knows that that is that, you know, Mona Lisa, even if it's in its physical form, you still get like, you know, the certification of um, authenticity. And then you don't have to deal with, um, like I've, I've read stories about, you know, like Picasso paintings coming up and people spending millions of dollars and finding out that they were actually ripoffs and not the original. And so this kind of helps alleviate that, at least I think, inside of the blockchain. But it, it changes like every day. Like this thing is moving so fast. Like what I thought was an understanding of it, it like completely changes, you know, like by the day, it seems like. And so at first, when I got into it, maybe 
around the beginning of this year. Yeah. I thought it was more just about, you know, you put up your your um, your still images or your animation, you put them up on a site like Super Rare or Nifty, and you would sell them for a cryptocurrency, which the most commonly used one would be Ethereum, which mm-hmm. is, if you don't know what that is, that's like a step down from Bitcoin. So Bitcoin would be like the top cryptocurrency, and then Ethereum is probably like a strong number two. And so everybody's buying stuff on these different marketplaces using right. Ethereum in which, you know, like if I would get something to sell for like three Ethereum, which I think this morning was at like tw- worth um, $2,700, I could then take that and convert it into USD. And then now I have money that I could spend, but it kind of fluctuates like the stock market as well. So sure. like at the high point, Ethereum was at like $4,200 and then overnight it crashed to like 1800. So, you know, you're taking that volatile, um, the volatile risk whenever you're working with cryptocurrency, but sure. I'm seeing other people using this blockchain stuff for, um, like I've seen lawyers saying that they're going to be using the blockchain for documents and making sure the documents are authentic. I saw somebody yeah. buy a house on the blockchain, like a physical house, like they sold it through the blockchain chain which is crazy so like what i thought was typically only for art it's like all these other industries are now using that for their things so honestly i have no idea where this is going but you know just allow for the ride right now yeah it's oh killer do you have something no Oh, I, I, I don't know. I think it's it's very interesting because like it's it's so much. Um, it's more than just a currency, right? Like you were saying, you touched on authenticity and like verification of a, a big core principle is the verification of transactions, right? Right. And, right. Yep. But there's there's like more. There's so much that can be done with with that concept. Like you're you're saying, I've seen concert tickets or or like event tickets being sold that way, and like there's no fake in that. You can't, you know. And, right. and if you if you transfer it to somebody, there's a clear like path of of transactions and stuff. Right. Um, it's it's inter- it's very interesting, and I like that it's kind of being mainstream. It's getting out in front of a lot of people because it also starts a conversation on like economics. On um, yeah. Well, like Bitcoin doesn't exist. It's not a thing. And it's, and well, neither is the US dollar, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, and right, then it goes yeah. down a whole different path of, of, of currency and, and economics and what money means and value and all this stuff. And it's very mm-hmm. interesting and fun to me. Um, yeah. But, you, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I know some people in other countries that have been using cryptocurrency as their main source of currency for years now because there's no international borders when it comes to cryptocurrency. So, like, if I wanted to send something to Uganda, I could literally send Ethereum to them and then they're able to spend that Ethereum in Uganda as if I would try to wire transfer, you know, like USD to Uganda, it might have to go through customs and, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of different stipulations there. So I think the thing with cryptocurrency in general is there's no, you know, like world boundaries, like everybody's just making these transactions on the fly. I like that. Yeah. It feels like it feels like this is the very beginning of um, like a universal sort of credits. Right. Like yeah. Sci fi. Yeah. The sci fi like currency of just like credits and stuff. It's going to be interesting. So we're like uh, living in Blade Runner, the first phase of Blade Runner. <laughs> just, ugh, I mean, that, <laughs> that's an interesting take, though, because it does feel that way, like in a, in right. a real way. Everything about that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
I have I have some very general like boilerplate plate sort of questions and stuff that I want to touch on, but um, I'm curious too. I'm trying to see if there's anything coming in from the uh, from the chat uh, real fast here. Um, nothing, nothing quite yet. So you, you've worked a lot with television and movies and and virtual reality, some some 360 video VR type of stuff. Um, is it is so we've talked about part of the the troubling projects what are some of the more favorite projects one that stands out is like ah that's so cool i did that yeah no so i have two because they both involve my kids when i used to work at warner brothers i was working in-house there for a couple of years and so i got to work on some of the properties with wb games and at the time, this might have been around, yeah, this is like around the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 era. And there was a new game coming out for um, Lego Batman. It was a sequel to it. And so we were like, we were working on a commercial campaign. And if you've seen any video game trailer, you know, it always has gameplay footage in there. True. And so the way that we would get that is you would actually physically hook up like a development kit of an Xbox 360, and then you would film it you know, to tape. So you have like a tape deck hooked up to the system. We would be in an office playing the game and we would have like a shot list of the different shots we're trying to get and the different settings and everything. Mm -hmm. But my son at the time, he's in elementary school. So that was like prime age for, you know, like the Lego games and mm -hmm. he was all into it. And so, you know, a bunch of adults at the studio are trying to play it and it doesn't look authentic. <laughs> and there, I was like, well, I can have my son come in and play it. Cause he plays, you know, like Lego star Wars and stuff all the time. So I brought him to the studio with me and he was playing a video game and I would be with a second Xbox controller controlling the camera movements. So I guess, you can say this is like the beginning stages of virtual production because like I'm controlling a, a virtual camera with the second Xbox controller while he's, you know, just playing through the game as he normally does. And um, yeah, so all the gameplay footage that was me and him, you know, working together and we ended up winning. There was like, we got a BAFTA award for it. We got a couple of tele awards for it. And yeah, that campaign was crazy, but it was just exciting because, you know, I got to work with my son on our project and really he got cool. the brag to all his friends at school he's like i got to play lego batman 2 before it even came out and you know it just oh, gave wow. me like cool parent credits and stuff so yeah yeah sure. that was <laughs> that was the first one and then the second one my daughter um she was a huge my little pony fan and i was working on a few seasons of my little pony and so she would come in and she thinks that she's art direct well actually she was because <laughs> i knew nothing about my little pony but she come in and she's like oh yeah that's rainbow dash and that's Applejack and this is hysteria and blah blah blah. She's like giving me a breakdown on this universe. And so when I would go to talk to Hasbro about stuff, I sounded like a genius because I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this, this, and this. And they're like, oh wow, you really know a lot about, you know, like the My Little Pony oh. universe. And I got to work on it for a couple of seasons and I worked on um the movie. I did the music video with Sia for the My Little uh, My Little Pony music soundtrack. And you know, she would go That's to awesome. her school and brag to all the kids that she got the help and she got to see episodes before they came out so yeah oh, both so of those neat. projects are a lot of fun and you know just proud parent moments you know yeah, yeah sure that's cool yeah oh wow oh the, yeah man that's especially from the kids point of view man how cool would that be like wow yeah that cherishes moments because now that they're older i'm just the dorky old dad they're like <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> i'm like oh i worked yeah. on that they're like oh okay 
whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <sorry. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a, I have the teen, I have teenager and, and an 11 year old and it's, it's rough. Cause I'm the super nerd in the house and they're not, they're not nerdy at all. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's tough. Um, man, uh, yeah. So how did you get into this to begin with? Like, where did it all start? Yeah. So honestly, I wanted to work in game development. Like I've been playing video games since probably like five or six years old, starting with, you know, Oregon Trail back on the old Apple systems. And then moved up to like the Tandy 1000 playing the old school Dungeons and Dragons where, you know, you have like the dot matrix on the, on the screen Mm -hmm. where it's just Mm -hmm. like a black screen and you had a bunch of green dots and you had to like actually print out the manual on a dot matrix uh, printer. And just, you know, it's like, (laughs) it was hardcore back then, but um, Mm -hmm. yes, I've been gaming ever since the beginning of gaming feels like so naturally when i was going to go to college i wanted to work in game development but um back in those days they wanted you to be able to draw and draw really well in which i was just okay at drawing so i actually applied to the art institute back in pittsburgh and they saw my portfolio and they're like yeah we can't accept you in (laughs) in this program but we do have this brand new program that we just started up this semester called motion graphics and vfx and they're like since you like computers and you know photoshop and stuff they're like maybe you'll want to look into that so they took me on a tour of everything that they built out like they just built like this brand new green screen um, studio down in the basement and they were like replicating scenes from the matrix and stuff which at the time was like one of my favorite movies of all time and so that sold me right there i'm like we can make matrix like shots down here and stuff they're like oh yeah that's what the course is going to teach you how to do so yeah i um i applied for the program and got my bachelor's degree and never looked back so yeah i kind of fell into motion graphics on the strength of that i can't draw that well so (laughs) (laughs) but it all worked out you know yeah yeah i mean yeah yeah, it seems to be been a pretty good path for you so what going from motion graphics what led you to unreal other than saving time on rendering like was there something about unreal that you're like this is the new tool for motion graphics or what was the jump there yeah honestly it comes back to when i was talking about how on um especially lego batman that was like my first video game project i got to work on and just like i was really looking at it because i'm like you know if they would have asked us to render out these scenes that we're playing in real time on the xbox that would have taken us you know like weeks to do on the cpu servers that we had back then and i'm i was always in the back of my mind i was like why can't these game systems do good 3d but you know when i go to work and i have to render it's taking me days and you know weeks to render this stuff out and so whenever i found that unreal opened up to where it was basically free for everybody mm-hmm. so it's like you, there was no pay hurdle anymore there was no subscriptions or anything like that that's what made you know along with the cinema 40 integration that's kind of really what made me want to jump back into you know maybe trying to test the grounds with game development but once i saw that i could do motion graphics and unreal engine then that's what really you know pulled me in there There was a there was a comment that I wanted to touch on uh, from Twitch, and it, the they said Fortnite doesn't give me much faith in Unreal, and 
I just wanted to comment on that and say that Fortnite is more the money machine for Epic to yeah to put toward other projects to because re- they really are focusing on on put, making Unreal more easy for these sort of non gaming related um, use cases. They they really in the same way that Nvidia um, gaming graphics cards fuels Nvidia's AI and machine learning technology and, and efforts. That's Fortnite isn't Epic's main focus. It's it's a right. money machine. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean they they practically print money over there. I mean, since the success of Fortnite, no matter Fortnite. what you think about it, they've changed the marketplace split to where like if you're selling assets on the Epic marketplace, the artist will get eighty percent of the revenue and they're only taking a twenty percent cut. And then also like if we use Unreal Engine for anything besides making a video game is 100% free. So even, you know, like how the Mandalorian use Unreal inside, you know, on the virtual sets and stuff there, I don't believe Disney had to pay them a dime to use that, which is, you know, that's unheard of. And it's all on the strength that they're making money, you know, piles of piles of money just at Fortnite. And yeah, it's it's crazy how generous they've been, you know, with the success of Fortnite. I mean, they have the Epic Mega Grant. They're giving out millions of dollars for people to, you know, fund their personal projects and their passion projects and stuff like that so yeah i think without fortnite i don't even think unreal and epic will be we wouldn't be you know where we are today like talking about it you know well and through epic's history the games that they release have essentially been advertisements for the engine like the Mm -hmm. engine is what has really made epic who they are like old school it was um unreal tournament and then yes gears of war (laughs) And it's like yep. every major release of the engine has has a release of a game. Yep. And with Fortnite, they've done stuff like the live concerts within the oh, game. Like, so cool. yeah, that is yeah. a technological wonder that they're doing that. It's not something like it's not a game I like to play or a concert I'll go to. But the fact that they're doing it and have that many people viewing this thing in real time, like that's insane. And that's just that's just them showing the world like, hey, you can do this with our engine if you want to come do it. Oh, yeah. Right. So whatever you think about Fortnite, they're just advertising. Hey, you can come get our engine and make some cool stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, and it kind of it seems like a similar sort of angle um, as, like, say, TikTok, right? You might, whatever you might think about TikTok, there's a reason it's wildly successful as it is. Um, mm-hmm. And um, that actually, I'm, I'm interested to know your thoughts on kind of social media as a. In a general sense, but also with with the popularity of things like um, TikTok in particular, how that affects like your thought process when it comes to content creation. Yeah, so I'm not a TikToker myself. I've tried sure. it. <laughs> it's um, it's one of those things that definitely made me feel my age. Like when I went in there, and you know, I put up the videos the same way that I would like on Instagram or Twitter. Like I usually use those platforms to advertise. You know, like tutorials that. I'm putting out on YouTube. And so, you know, I would put the same type of content on TikTok and it would just fall flat because that's not the type of audience that, you know, that's there. Like they're more for upbeat, um, really short content. Like they don't want to be advertised like, hey, come look at my long form torment on YouTube. It's like, 
they're looking at stuff for 30 seconds and then it's on to the next one and on to the next one. So there's not a lot of, you know, production put into any of these videos. A lot of them are just shot on the cell phones and stuff, which is fine because, I mean, this is just a new generation and this is the way that they're getting their entertainment. And so mm-hmm. it's one of those things that I haven't technically been able to wrap my head around. I know some people that have had, you know, like great success on there and stuff like that. But yeah, for me, I'm still, I guess now I'm one of the old heads, you could say. <laughs> and I'm just like those kids in their TikTok, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't get it because that's not the form of entertainment that I like, but I'm sure. not going to knock it. You know, that's just my personal preference. Do you think that um, the sort of that sort of shift toward really short form content has affected your like industry um yes and no because i mean like we still have traditional television it's the same thing with streaming like a lot of the studios just had to repivot a little bit for the streaming platforms and now you're seeing them starting to embrace more streaming um actually a lot of them are actually starting their own streaming services if they haven't already and mm-hmm. so what you see with the shorter form content stuff is actually just creating jobs because now let's say a warner brothers still have you know like a short form department which they hire people for and they're making short form content for other properties so whether that's like teen titans or you know like batman or you know a game Mortal Kombat or something is like you have people working to create this content for this new platform. So I only see it as a positive thing because it's creating new jobs and new opportunities for jobs that five years ago didn't even exist. So it's just the transition of the times. And yeah, I think it's cool to see. Yeah. I think things Uh, like, like Pixar, Pixar was famous for their shorts for a long time, but like they were also kind of, they're either tacked onto a film release or there's kind of unless you know where to go to look for them no one really knows about them but right now this is like a whole market for that kind of content um, yeah yeah i could see them like jumping on this and doing more of that kind of stuff if they haven't already i'm yeah. in the same boat as you i don't really use tiktok so maybe they're on there <laughs> yeah um, but I, mean, I think there is a the market for that if they want to it, now that you brought that up, I mean, I remember MTV as a kid, they used to have those, um, the liquid television where they would have like the short form mm-hmm. stuff like Ren and Stimpy started off as like short form mm-hmm. and Eon Flux and Beavis a Butthead, like before they became like full fledged shows. They would just be like mini clips, you know, in between Mm. commercial breaks and stuff like that. So this is just kind of maybe like maybe they were just way ahead of their time. And now, you know, like there's a platform for what they were trying to create back then. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I really like that idea. Like a a, a, a purposeful built uh, show, let's say, and that's that's it. One episode is a minute long, and you got the mm-hmm. whole. That, man, that would be really neat. And the the creativity that comes with those sorts of constraints is is just it's always very remarkable to me that what people can do when when given very tight constraints to work with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ben in the. Um, uh, motion design and chat mentioned the simpsons that was the same thing there was a a short on the tracy ullman show that then got right, picked yeah. up and turned into a series oh i didn't it was know just that like a little thing 
But I can yeah. definitely see with either TikTok, Instagram stories, or whatever, people with the tools coming out today, like Unreal Engine and other real-time stuff, being able to go out and make their own little thing that would then get picked up into a traditional show or vice versa, like this back and forth, studios embracing short form for their own stuff. And yeah, I definitely see it as a win for the entire industry. Yeah, I know, um, not to keep going back to Warner Brothers, but I know when I was there, they developed, um, this is when people are doing more short form stuff on YouTube, but there was a show, um, I think one was called H plus, and then there was another one. It was some type of hospital show or something, but they got discovered on YouTube because they were doing like, you know, like short 10 minute episodes and they gained popularity through YouTube. And so Warner Brothers picked up the properties. And then next thing you know, they're doing short form TV shows on Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. And so, you know, they would just extend them out because I believe those were like 15 minute episodes. But that was like the studios embracing the short form is like, hey, we do have a platform for this on traditional TV because Adult Swim, you know, Know, they're like 15 minute shows on there so i could see maybe you know with tiktok just you know they could have that same revolution maybe some of these tiktokers will get picked up and with streaming services you have no time limit so it's kind of like if you're just famous for doing like a 60 second tiktok maybe now you could do five minutes on peacock or something or hulu or something mm-hmm. of that nature you know yeah oh man i did i do notice i did uh hear that netflix was was put together uh, like a TikTok house sort of thing. I feel like it's going to be some sort of reality show around a bunch of the the really famous TikTokers and stuff. Oh my goodness! Uh, I can see it. <laughs> like Big Brother, feels, but, uh, yeah, kind of, right? It feels like a rehash of, of old stuff. I'd, I'd like to see more of what what could be done if they gave the reins more to the creators. Right. Like, when when I think I feel like they're problems can arise when you have sort of folk who are stuck in an old way of doing things, trying to shoehorn new creativity into that mold and it doesn't quite work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. I mean, going back to the NFTs, I, I've seen that's why a lot of, you know, like um, artists and creatives, they kind of embrace the NFTs because you're not shoehorned into this guide. It's like if you're going to be working on like Iron Man, it's like, OK, cool. But you're still stuck within the strengths of what the studio wants. But at least with NFTs, it's like you could just be creative and still try to make some monetary income on it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a lot more of an open um, marketplace, I guess is a, is the right term for it because yeah. you don't you don't have anybody to tell you like oh no that's not that's not art you, right. no, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna sell that because who are you you know it's it's right. on the merit of your own either the the work itself or, or your own sort of popularity and, and community yep i think that's cool well, for a long time in the art space digital art is like looked down on and like if you want to use digital art like a digital medium to create art you can't really do anything with that at least you haven't been able to for the most part like you can't go to like no gallery is gonna have you show your art and um yeah. there, there have been a few of those galleries with digital art but like it's 
because it's so tradable and you can just copy it and stuff. So I think the NFT was kind of like the digital artist way to finally like get their due, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And a lot, a lot of those houses that turned away, you know, the digital artists that only went with traditional artists. Now they're featuring the digital artists because of NFT. So you have like Sotheby's and Christie's and mm-hmm. I actually, I'm a part of an exhibition out in um, Shanghai, China right now. It's the same thing. It's, it's, um, instead of having a painting up, you have a digital frame (laughs) that looks Mm -hmm. like a painting, but everything is moving inside of it. And so it's cool as artists to be able to get into these traditional auction houses that even a year ago would have just like stuck their noses up to us and say like, oh, Mm -hmm. you're not, you know, real artists or, you know, whatnot. But now we're finally being put up on that pedestal, which is pretty cool to see. And it happened just like that. Like, it's just crazy Mm -hmm. how fast that transition happened. Oh yeah. Yeah, dang, that's, that, and I feel like I feel like it's kind of unfortunate because it's it's really being pushed. They're kind of taking it more seriously because there's money to be made. Yeah, but yeah. but if I mean if that's what it takes, then fine um, to <laughs> legitimize the art and the artists as well. Because like like Kelly was saying, like I think it was looked down upon because it wasn't as uh, visceral and stuff. Like oh, they're not you're not really creating anything, right? It's all just paintings is- on the. Which um, seeing some of the stuff that was sell, it's kind of crazy that we weren't looked at as artists, you know, like the probably the most famous one is the guy that duct taped the banana to the wall. It sold that for six, six figures. And yeah, it's, kinda, it's like I'm not an artist, but this dude that just duct taped some, you know, produce on a wall is an artist. It's like, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is just weird. Yeah. Yeah. That is, well, that goes down a different path. I had issues. <laughs> I had issues in an art history class years and years ago oh, really? um, over <laughs> over art as a as yeah. a concept and whatnot. And, but that's that's not a path to go down to on this show. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah. Um, man, I'm 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 curious to know more about about the the your company, Windbush Immersive, and like how that started and where you're where you're going with it. <laughs> Yeah, so the immersive part came because I'm um, I'm officially an S corp, and when I was just trying to go for Wimbush, the state said no because that's your last name. So I guess it was too close, and so I added the immersive because at the time I was doing a lot of stuff in virtual reality and mm-hmm. starting to dive into a little bit of the augmented reality because I was doing some beta testing with Adobe on um, the Aero product. It was in beta back then, but yeah, I was doing some AR stuff and um, I just figured, you know, I was getting more recognized for being a VR artist. And so I just put immersive at the end of the, um, you know, Wimbush immersive and I trademarked that through the state. But um, yeah, I practically, I still work in television and movies. So like I left Warner Brothers maybe about seven years ago. So that was like the last studio job I had, but I still have relationships with, you know, a lot of the line producers and some of the showrunners and stuff like that. So I'm still able to, you know, work on television shows and every now and then get like a title feature for a movie or something. Do you think when it comes to virtual reality, um, how do you, where do you think that's headed? Is it, is it going to be a household thing or is it going to go to the way of 3D television? Yeah, that's, it's a tough one because there was that boom around 2016, 2017, when everybody was just like, this is the future and 
everybody around the world was excited, but then you just saw like that law start to happen. Like I was, um, I was getting a lot of VR work back then, especially in 360 VR. And those requests just came in very, very thin. Like it's to the point to where I don't get any requests now for it. And I've heard in some pockets of the world that is still um, heavily used. Like I think um, in the major cities in China, they still use VR. And then I heard in Brazil, they're still heavy on VR and they have VR arcades and stuff of that nature. But like here in the States, like like I hear like the Quest 2, the Oculus Quest 2, they're hard to get, but like I don't really hear anybody buzzing about VR. So really? I don't I don't know. It's tough because it's like people are saying they can't get their hands on the headsets because they're sold out. But at the same time, it's like I don't hear anybody really, you know, like buzzing about it. Like I, I love mm-hmm. VR. Like I, I still use VR to work out and stuff like that, like using the oh, boxing cool. game and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's kind of a weird time because a lot of people invested a lot of money into vr very early and a lot of those companies don't exist anymore like wow. i would say i would go to a lot of conventions and there was like hundreds and hundreds of companies like startup companies and they're all investing all this money now you hear about maybe like 10 of those companies still being around huh. what do you think is the best use case for for virtual reality um, I see moment, it. I yeah, like I know the motion picture industry still uses it. Like one of the coolest things I saw was when they were working on a Lion King movie, how, yeah. you know, that was all completely CG. And right. so since there's no on set anywhere, they would just take like this big warehouse studio and they would put on virtual reality headsets. And that's how they were able to do the location scouting for how they wanted to set up the shots and everything of that nature. So I think use cases like that is really cool because it's mm-hmm. like, you can have a full CG environment. You can still work in the traditional sense, setting up your cameras and placing the actors and everything like that. I think Avatar, um, James Cameron does that as well. So I think in the motion picture industry there, you know, it's pretty cool but for like entertainment just for like you know us like consumers and stuff like that it's it's really tough to tell where this is going mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I've, I've always thought they still needs there there still needs to be some a big hook right mm-hmm. a lot of it still seems very sort of gimmicky like you know, right. like beat saber and things like that but there isn't there isn't really anything to, to draw draw in the general public quite yet yeah you need a bunch of beat sabers right like beat saber was hot for a while but you can only play that for so long before you're like okay what's next you know yeah. so they never had that follow-up program to what was next and so i think that was you know part of the big fall off too yeah. i feel like beat saber is still like one of the most played vr <clears throat> games like there's nothing else has really kind yeah. of risen to that level over the past was it three four years now i can't even remember when they <laughs> yeah <came laughs> yeah like I mean, how you had, Alex kind of was there, but yeah, that's what I was going to say. But that was kind of like a very niche market mm-hmm. that you're hitting. You know, like if you know nothing about Half Life, then you don't really care about the. You know? <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Never played it. I just got excited about the fluid within the bottle. That was like mind blowing to me. Yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> I still need to play through it. I played through like an hour of it, and I was like, "Man, this is amazing!" And then I just got sidetracked with life, and that was what like it two years ago i still haven't jumped back into this so yeah i still need to finish that one up because i heard it's really good 
I played with a VR set for like an hour and then I just have only used it to track cameras and unreal. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still get case for it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. What are you most excited about in the future? Like look in the next year to five years in, in your little kind of niche. Um, hoping to make a 69 million dollar sale like my friend beeple out there selling nfts and riding off into the sunset <laughs> maybe having a space race with jeff bezos you know and yeah. um the virgin galactic guys but yeah uh no seriously though um i don't know like it, it's tough to to say because like the entertainment business is just changing so rapidly now and mm-hmm. you know hopefully we're coming out on the other end of the pandemic and so like i've been working this entire pandemic on tv and stuff like that but there's also been talks about like where is entertainment going you know it's like sure. now movies are coming in the same day as the streaming platform so you have like a movie come out tomorrow but it's streaming at the very same exact time so like what does that mean for you know the motion picture industry do they put less resources into the films because they're not going to really make that box office money anymore but then you have cases like trolls last year they said they made more money streaming at stream at dreamworks than they did in the box office success and so it's just like oh, wow. yeah it, it, so we're like in a really really weird like figuring everything out type of stage and mm-hmm. so hopefully i get to do motion graphics forever but yeah we we don't know <laughs> you know where things are going but all i like to say is if there's still a screen out there then i'll still have a job because you always need you know some type of graphics and development for those different screens and so yeah i've worked on ads for instagram worked on tv shows movies and even developed for like the big billboards out there in times square so if oh, there's cool. a screen then i'm your man <laughs> you oh, know nice. i'll develop for it um, earlier you mentioned you had moved from offline editing to online editing um and i know that i've talked about that in the past with with a couple guests um do you mean like remote like you're you're editing in the cloud um i, oh, I oh. feel like i'm I've, i think i've got mixed up on the terms yeah yeah no worries so um yeah now i was saying so your render engines like octane and redshift and um let's say v-ray those are considered mm-hmm. offline rendering and then your programs like unity and unreal and like cry engine those are considered online because those are all in real time and so basically i've went from you know spending hours rendering to working on everything in real time with the the game engines now i see i see yeah uh, do you do a lot of like remote work um you know with with people who are kind of scattered around yeah so like Wimbush immersive this is my office like i'm 100 remote so i've been working remote way before the pandemic like the past eight years so the cool thing about it is um a lot of clients that i work with like they know this because i, I don't try to fake it like say i'm in some fancy office i'm just like i work in my home office this is what i have and these are the results that i put out which they respect you know so yeah 100 remote i do have a roster of artists that if i do need any help on anything like 3d modeling or anything of that nature i do hire out other friends that are also remote and so yeah i think us as motion graphics and 3d artists we were kind of already hep to 
what was to come with the pandemic because a lot of us are working remote already anyway. So at least for the people I know, it wasn't like a huge transition trying to figure out remote work. I know a couple of friends that were in-house that are having a hard time with it because they're used to going to an office. But yeah, for the most part, I'm all remote and yeah, always have been. Well, that's cool. Are there any special like tools or software that you use to keep everybody kind of together on that? How, how hard is um, that? Yeah, no, just stay in communication with everybody, primarily on Discord all day. So yeah, doing a lot of um, Discording, but I mean, I've been working with the same handful of guys for years now. So, I mean, we, you know, communicate on a regular anyway. And like I said, primarily, I like most of the time I'm doing the work myself. It's only on like very like intense projects that I might have to bring in a friend or two. But for the most part, yeah, I'm doing all the work myself. Oh, cool. Wow. So, so Windbush Immersive is just basically just you then. That's neat. Yeah, just one person. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Yeah. No, look, you love to hear that. Because, man, that's got to be really cool to, to have just your own, your own thing is exciting to me. Yeah, yeah. And that way, it's kind of like, like, I know everything that's going on within the company because I am the company. So <laughs> <laughs> there's no handing off of projects or anything. It's like, I know my workflow and what I'm doing. So, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's been working out so far, so very yeah. blessed in those regions. How I'm, I'm curious more to, to kind of talk more about the business side of things, if that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. How, like, how hard was that to, to get started? And and then to, did you have help with that? You need like a lawyer and accountants and stuff. Like, how does all that work to, to start off? Yeah, no, so definitely learned on the fly, a lot of growing pains along the, along the way. Like when I was working at the studio, I was doing a lot of freelance on the side as a lot of artists do. So, you know, you're just burning the midnight oil, working with a lot of side clients and doing jobs like that. But it got to the point to where like I worked up my roster over, you know, just like a decade of working in the industry. And so it's like, I'm always doing side work just to, you know, keep other projects and keep the money coming in. And I would just ask them like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting my own company full time. Like if I did that, would I, you know, would you guys give me more work or give me better, like bigger projects? And a lot of them said, yeah. So it, I'm not going to say that it was easy making that transaction because I mean, the last studio job I had was Warner Brothers, which was probably one of the best jobs I ever had in my life. You know, it's like they didn't believe really in overtime. Like they wanted you out the door at six o'clock. It paid very well. The environment was, great like you couldn't ask for like a better place and so when i had to put the bet on myself it was hard to leave because even my wife is like are you sure you want to do this and because i've had trouble at studios in the past you know just freelancing around and you might have that nightmare art director or whatever but it's like i finally found a happy place and i'm just like i wanted to I wanted to move beyond where I could at the company. And so I just kind of put the bet on myself and just made it work. And so like you're asking about lawyers and all that different stuff. Yeah. That, that stuff is stuff I learned along the way. Cause I'd never went to like business school or took any classes. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, I found out I needed an entertainment tax person because I was paying a lot of money in taxes. And then I would talk to a tax person and they're like, dude, what are you doing? And, you know, it's like, <laughs> so you get a good tax person and you save a lot of money. And then he's like, yeah, you need to incorporate. And, you know, it's just like, you start learning these things along the way. So I would probably say, um, 
don't do it the way I did it. Definitely take like a business <laughs> class or something. But you know, it like we were saying before, like I I like problem solving, so I just kind of learn things along the way. Nice. And how do you stay sharp with all with so much changing, so many different tools and software and and everything else? What do you do to to stay on top of your work and and just keep learning? Yeah. Yeah. So the YouTube channel definitely helped in those regards. That was a blessing in itself because that kept me wanting to keep push forward. You know, people have questions in the comments or they'll tell me about new stuff coming out. And I try to talk to everybody that leaves a comment. And so I just try to be like really responsive with the community that's built up there. I'm grateful for everybody. So never want to leave anybody hanging. And so just going through the comments, people will say like, hey, did you see X, Y and Z just came out or, you know, you should check this out and people are always like sending me stuff and so that's one way that i'm able to you know stay ahead and see what the next big things are that might have you know went under my radar but yeah the community is probably the biggest thing especially you know working from home by myself for how many years now it's like i don't really see anybody you know outside of (laughs) my house so just building that community around the world online has been like a huge help for you know myself and just trying to keep everything fresh yeah, I'm cool. cool. Let's see. I'm just wondering if there, if I may have missed anything, just in case. Oh, um, I have a question for you. Yeah. So, in especially in something like Unreal, when you're trying to learn a new thing that maybe doesn't have a lot of documentation or a lot of help out there, what's your like strategy for trying to figure out a new tool that you don't have any help for? Yeah, so one of the big things I tell people is maybe, um, so like with Unreal, for instance, like there's a big streaming community on like Twitch and YouTube. And so I would actually go into like the Twitch streams for people because, you know, they'll have the subheader like Unreal and then it's like I'm working on my game or whatever. So I would go in there and I would just ask the people questions. And a lot of them are really receptive, especially the people that have like the lower follower count. Like they're excited that people are interacting with them. And so I would go on there and just ask questions. And a lot of time people are really receptive. And then another big thing is is make a personal project even if it's like if you see something like on tv or on instagram or like let me try to replicate what i just saw because going through the steps of trying to replicate it you'll figure out along the way like oh okay that sun is shining through those trees with the god ray at this specific angle and it has a certain look to it what do i need to do to accomplish that and so it's like you set yourself out to try to replicate exactly what you're seeing and that gets you working with the tool set it makes you become more familiar with the ui and you just become really comfortable with it and after a while it's just like it's almost like learning a second language it's just like wow now i can navigate because i'm just in here and figuring stuff out so at least for me that was like a big way that i would learn nice yeah right on um who do you have a when it comes like the youtube side of things is there anybody that you turn to in particular um like who are your favorites that you think are doing some great things out there 
Yeah, um, Mr. Solomon that we spoke about earlier, he's um, really killing it with like the motion capture stuff. I've watched him for years on YouTube, just watching his old clips and experiments he puts up there. He's another good one to watch. And then um, Matt, as you had mentioned earlier, like I've been watching him ever since he was on the Epic stage a couple of years back with the virtual production stuff. And um, I've gotten to know Matt like online and stuff. He has a private Discord. So yeah, Matt is um, someone that I've come to you know watch and learn from over this past year and then um i'm trying to think who else like definitely the maxon streams they run like streams every couple of weeks with different artists doing streams and stuff on there which is really cool to see and then um yeah i'm trying to think like a lot of random youtube videos you know like if i'm trying to figure something out you just type it in and then you know like new people are popping up on youtube every day so nice nice Got one question coming in from Twitch from uh, Perverted Angel Mark. Uh, have you used Blender? And if so, how does Unreal compare? <laughs> I've not used Blender yet. It's one of those things, like, I've been so focused on Unreal. Like, I've definitely, I have Blender on my machine. I've, I've opened it, but I don't know. It's tough. It's just, like, I already know Cinema 4D, and so it's mm-hmm. kind of like, what is Blender going to give me that Cinema and Unreal together won't give me? And so, mm-hmm. like, it's just one of those things where, like, I don't know. Like, I, there's no incentive for me to really jump into Blender, at least not yet. But the more I see about it, like, I see really cool stuff every day added to Blender, and it makes it more and more enticing so i know it's only a matter of time before i dive into blender but yeah i'm not at that point yet like i'm still especially with unreal engine 5 like i'm just still experimenting a lot in there and figuring stuff out so it might take me a little bit to jump into blender there's some there's some comments from youtube that says please stay on the c4d team (laughs) i'm scared blender's gonna make it go out of business uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'll be with, I mean, I love the guys over at Maxon. They've been really supportive over, you know, like these past two years of what I've been doing. So definitely Team C4D for now. And um, yeah, I know they've been, they got the Epic Mega Grant last year as well. And so I know they have some, you know, exciting stuff coming up with the Unreal integration. So mm-hmm. definitely not leaving C4D anytime soon. In fact, I probably... Um, I'll probably be doing another stream with them, maybe NAB or something. We'll see. But yeah, definitely Team C4D for now. So, yeah. And we're going to squeak this last question in. Uh, Godfrey Meyer on YouTube asks, where can I get a VR IK rig? Can you share yours for Unreal? Mm, I don't have a VR IK rig. Um, (laughs) I don't know if he can elaborate more on what he's looking for, possibly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't. I don't have anything in those regards. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm unfamiliar with the IK part of that. Inverse kinematics. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I was going to say. the gloves or what is No. <laughs> so yeah, it's maybe like, Kelly could go more on this one. So inverse kinematics is like if you were to like, if you had a 3D model of, a, of an arm mm-hmm. and you were like, move the hand everything else would follow along the way it should oh right okay um, so i'm not sure what what he means by a vr ik rig because well, feel, two uh, different things yeah i feel like that would be kind of a, like a motion capture suit almost right yeah and i mean i would just say for unreal just check the marketplace because there's got to be something yeah the there's a ton of free stuff on the marketplace <laughs> and if not hit up matt workman i mean he's been 
developing stuff like that like crazy. So I'm sure Matt probably has something. Mm. I see about the virtual productions. Oh, well, that stuff is built into Unreal. Like they have templates for, you know, the VR setups and everything. So whenever you open up the Unreal browser, you'll see on the left hand side, you'll have like different templates and stuff. So there is a VR template that will get you started in there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Right on. All right. Uh, so that does. Uh, so you can look into Des 3D, other stuff. Yeah, Des 3D. Oh. So MetaHuman oh. would have an IK rig as well. Uh, yeah. Or Character Creator 3. Character Double. Creator um, Mixamo. You can import the Mixamo yeah. IK skeleton into Unreal pretty seamlessly. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of free options out there. Cool. That does bring us a little bit over our hour. Um, is there anything else you'd like to, to talk about or mention or shout out, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, no, shout out everybody in the, the chat room here. We got Ben. I've been seeing him talking. Godfrey, Julio. I'm trying to go up. Um, Perverted Angel. <laughs> um, it was. We got Brilly in here. And yeah, just shout out everybody that came through. And um, yeah, no, thank you guys for having me on the show. I know yeah. we've talked a while in the past through Houston. So definitely appreciate you bringing me on the show. Hopefully not for the last time. And um, yeah, I would say definitely check not. me out on social media. Definitely YouTube slash Jonathan Wimbush. I just put up a new tutorial yesterday for doing camera tracking inside of Unreal Engine 5 with footage and everything of that nature, which is really cool. And then, um, yeah, to keep up to date, um, what I'm doing next, I usually, I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter these days. So same thing, slash Jonathan Wimbush. And um, yeah, just hit me up on uh, the metaverse there. Yeah. Oh, that'd be an interesting topic to get into because I feel like that touches a lot on the virtual production and VR and all that stuff. This whole concept of metaverse, it touches on the NFT thing. That'll be really cool. We can talk about that next time. That'll be great. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, just excited yeah, to see how things, <laughs> how things evolve over the next year or two is going to be very cool. Well, speaking of metaverse, when they, um, the Epic team did just put out, they're doing another virtual concert with um, Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. So similar to the one they did with Travis Scott last year, but this one looks like it's going to be even more crazier instead of Fortnite. And so, yeah, like I'm not a fan of Ariana Grande, but just seeing what that team teased out, I'm like, I might have to reinstall Fortnite to check this out. (laughs) Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that one looks insane. Oh, that's going to be so cool. I, I love looking. The the things that people are doing are just so cool. I'm very excited. It's very cool. Uh, but thank you, Jonathan, for taking time out of your day to join us. And Kelly, you as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And as always, the audience as well. Um, we do this Wednesdays now, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we bring on internal experts like Kelly to talk about kind of more what they do inside the company, performance results and testing and things like that, as well as external experts like Jonathan uh, to talk about what they do and how things and give you just a little bit of peek behind the curtain of the creative process and, and things you may not all just be aware of. So tune in on Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Pacific, and uh, yeah, we'll see you all next time. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Yeah.